0: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat builders, visit AbyssBattery.com.
1: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought. What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
2: We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, got two splendid individuals here with us on the podcast. One, uh, a familiar voice that you... No, we'll catch up with him in just a second. And then we have a guest tonight, uh, which I will introduce shortly. First off, I want to cover a little bit of uh, news for us. So in the hunting front, much of the much of our crews out in the field, which is why uh, we're kind of limited on participants today, but that's okay. Uh, it is fall season and hunting is in full swing and everybody's trying to stock their freezers. so uh, you know how that goes. I do have, um, I don't know if, if you've seen it. If you follow us on social media, you've probably seen it already. We released a, uh, a new hunting-themed shirt from. Uh, took inspiration for our recent antelope hunt uh, up in Wyoming. I should say R, my. And uh, antelope being the fastest land mammal in North America second fastest in the world, pronghorn antelope. I should be very clear about that. So uh, we created a shirt that's themed uh, around fast food. Um, I, t- I took a bit of the uh, the inspiration from the uh, McDonald's logo and uh, you have the golden arches, but they're pronghorn antlers. And it says pronghorn and some nice white caps. And it says the only fast food I eat. And uh, so you, if, if you go down, check the show notes for that. You have the link to that. And I remind everybody, uh, t- you get 20% off uh, any merchandise in our store using podcast 20, podcast two zero uh Check out. So that helps out great. The other thing is, is we've been carrying on with our, our giveaway of, of hats, uh, hats for reviews. And uh, so last week we did one. Uh, the week before we just started it, so this week we'll we'll get back into it again. So I'll read the review. Uh, Signal Agent Thirteen is the individual that wrote this, and it says if you like hunting and the outdoors, you're going to love this podcast. So each week we go through and we look at the reviews and and we select one at random or selective depends on what we want to do, and um and we choose one anyway. So. Uh, if you're Signal 13, shoot us a note at what's cooking at com, and uh, we'll get you your hat in the mail. Just go pick one from the website and uh, let us know which one you prefer and we'll, we'll get it to you right away. But anybody can enter it. Just go leave us a review, hit the five star button, and write something super awesome or something. If you disagree with us, whatever. I'm not gonna slow solely pick great reviews. We'll address those. But uh, if you are a fan, helps us out, helps you out. Everybody likes hats. So, uh, other than that, news for us, I think uh, for me, uh, Will and I are gonna be doing a little fly fishing tomorrow uh, outside Key West. We had a recent tropical storm here, so we're kind of dealing with that, but we'll, we'll see. Try to get a little tarpon, a little snook, a little snapper,
0: we'll little great fish action. See what's see what's biting.
2: Yep. So anyway, as you can see, Will's here or not? See here. Um, so Will, do you have any any
0: updates on the going on since the last time you were with us? We did the alligator podcast. People heard a while back. Yeah, we did the alligator podcast, and then uh, I've been gearing up. We're looking to do maybe a little uh, Seminole deer hunt here yep. in South Florida coming up. Deer. White-tailed. Yep, and then uh, I'm really pushing hard, kind on the fly fishing front. What Justin was talking about, really going to try to push the tarp in, the permit, the bonefish, especially down here in Key West. And then, as always, lobsters on the menu here lobster in Key West. good.
2: Yep. We'll be doing uh, lobster hopefully here pretty soon. So, Well, I mean, we do it f- frequently, but <laughs> more intentionally and more uh, scheduled. But uh, outside of that, I want to introduce you to our guest today. His name is John Patton, and he's the CEO and founder of The, the Gun Collective. And he's been producing gun content for about ten years. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, John.
3: Guys, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I I think that's the most official introduction I've ever got. CEO and founder. I'm the, I, I I introduced myself as <laughs> the guy who runs it. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm janitor. Hey, uh, before we get too far, I pulled up the hat. Uh, the the eat more wild game like camo hat. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta buy one of those because I freaking love it. And also, shout out to you guys for Donald Trump Jr. liking that post on social media. Really? Yeah. I don't even know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's amazing.
2: He's a. Uh, I, I talked with him via Instagram, probably 2015, 2016. I think that's when he started following us on uh, on Instagram, and we had some conversations about wild game and food. So. That's pretty awesome though. I didn't know he was still attentive to us.
3: <laughs> Dude, that's rad. That's rad. But uh thank you for having me. I'm I'm pumped to uh kind of go beyond the borders of the, the firearms industry and and chit chat about stuff outside of that for once. Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> well it'll be good. We definitely want to talk a little bit about firearms, of course. I mean we, Oh sure, sure. But uh the other realm of the world, the hunting world, the eating side and all that we're going to get into also. So, uh, tell us please a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, where you've been, what you do outside of my brief introduction.
3: Sure. Sure. So the gun collective is a video media outlet. Um, we are what I call decentralized, which means we are publishing content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever we possibly can. We are putting out our videos. We put out new videos every week. The flagship show is called TGC News, and that's the Gun Collective News. And what that is is a weekly roundup of whatever's new and interesting in the gun world, new products, gun industry news about brands and and things like that. Uh, We also do uh, a bunch of other shows, and I won't get into the whole rundown of things as a lot. But we do reviews, we do high-speed video testing, like testing ammunition, gel testing. Um, we, we are really, really busy making a lot of content. And uh, I've been, the Gun Collective has been around since uh, June of 2015. I've been making gun content since about 2010. Uh, nice. I switched, uh, I ditched my old channel, the uh, old YouTube channel and started TGC in 2015. And uh, it's been a wild ride since um we've we've got an audience just for context we've got an audience of about eight hundred thousand people across wow. all of these various platforms um we we've we've hustling uh, a lot we've been hustling a lot to just try and and do something different you know that's that's kind of our angle it's just something that really isn't done in the gun world in the way that we do it
2: that's awesome we were we actually just uh we're watching some of your your weekly videos. It's, uh as far as the news, it's, it's very informative. You go definitely in depth, so I give you kudos for that. So that's, Thanks, man. That was Thanks. pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it was great. You know, as a fellow gun lover, I really enjoyed kind of your breakdown and then uh, kind of your uh, unbiased opinion of things. I really really enjoyed <laughs> that.
3: Yeah, I, I've caught crap about that over the years, just like just ripping into stuff <laughs> where where I feel it's needed. You know, guys are like, hey, this is a news program. You're not allowed to give your opinion. I was like, I don't remember you signing my checks.
2: Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so we kind of discussed it earlier, but as far as is the world of hunting, where where do you lie? Do uh, you hunt a lot? A new hunter? How, how does I, it?
3: I would say I'm a new hunter that nice. uh, does not hunt as much as I want to.
2: You, I, I will tell you that is a... Believe it or not, that is a a more common answer than you realize the, uh, both the uh, new hunter as well as the, uh, I don't get to hunt as often as I want. I think that's almost every guest we get on here. That's the answer. (laughs) Like how often (laughs) do you hunt? Yeah. So, um, I think everybody wishes to hunt more. I wish to hunt more. I wish I had more, more free time and, and availability to go. So that's awesome. Um, so how long have you been hunting
3: i want to say less than 10 years because i didn't i didn't get into hunting until after i had gotten into my old channel so uh i'll i'll give some context i did some i i got into the youtube videos and then i had a buddy tell me he lives out in chicago we he brought me pheasant hunting in uh, wisconsin In the middle of winter, I had never, never gone hunting. First of all, it's an awesome experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, we went out there, I got hooked, you know, I I had shot a lot of sporting clays, I was into that, and I got hooked on it, went back for more, ended up getting tied in with Beretta to do a review. It's one of the most popular reviews, I believe still, for the A400 Extreme uh, shotgun. And we, we did some pheasant hunting as part of that. And I did that for a little bit and then, you know, fast forward a few years, I believe it was 2016. I'm not hundred percent positive. I had a friend call me up and say, Hey, uh, do you want to go down to South Texas and hunt nil guy? And I said, what the hell is a nil guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, that, that's a common,
2: common question.
3: <laughs> yeah. That, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of pig hunting, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, certainly like way, way less than I want to, because I feel like I have so much more to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, so much stuff. Like I, the gear side of things, I got that on lockdown. That's my professional, like that's what I do. But when it comes to actual hunting experience, I've got a ton to learn.
2: Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, to hunting, it's one of those things. It's like you learn something every time you go out. Uh, I've been, been hunting for a while and, uh, Man, still lessons learned every day. But that's part of, I think part of the excitement too is it's, it's,
0: uh, there's nothing sort of routine about it. That's part of the draw. I mean, you learn something new every time you go out. It's, it's never something you can truly say you've mastered because every time I learn something new about hunting, it just opens up a whole new. Yeah. And you, you can go
2: out too and, you know, do things systematically sort of the way that you've always done it, the way that, you know, your next door neighbor does it or the way that you learn through generations like whatever and some outside force some natural entity in the world just is like nope not today <laughs> so uh, <laughs> i i appreciate the fact you're you got into it and you're continuing to and and uh it's it's good man i i do yeah. want to uh I, i'd love to hear more about your nilgai guy hunt though
3: for sure okay so that's a that's a little bit of a story. Um, I it was my first ever centerfire rifle hunt. Uh, I you know I'd done the pheasant hunting that was great, loved it, but I'd never had the opportunity to do anything you know bigger. So I find out what a NIL no guy is. I said, "What the hell is this? This thing is huge. It, I've never seen anything like it." You know, up in up in Pennsylvania, I'm I'm like bordering on Amish country. Like I grew up. With Mennonite neighbors, and like the, the Amish mm-hmm. were part of my upbringing. I saw them all the time. So, deer hunting, whitetail is like everywhere. That's yep. normal. Uh, outside of that, not as normal. So, I get a call from a buddy of mine that works at a rifle company called Falcor Defense, and their kind of claim to fame is a semi auto 300 wind mag. And they're one of the only companies that has done it successfully so they got partnered with a few uh, a few other companies um I, I brought on my friends at lehigh defense they make ammunition that's incredible uh silencer co was involved a company called armalite was involved uh this was prior to them being bought out by fleer and armalite does thermal so and i i i don't remember there may have been another brand it doesn't matter the point is, all this like I, I'm the like I'm still like TGC is still very young. I'm completely green to this. They they say come down to South Texas towns I've never heard of. It's <laughs> it's insanely hot, and they put me in this this thing like the blind that I I had never really spent any time in a blind before. So they plop me in this blind in the middle of a field on this uh, low fence ranch, and they say. Uh, just hang out if you see you know something let it fly if it if it looks like a nil guy I'm like I've never seen one like I've never seen one <laughs> so, so that's like that's like night one and then uh, what I call the blind it was like this fiberglass blind I was like this is a Vietnam era sweat box. What are we doing? It's, <laughs> it's like a hundred degrees at night. The, the, the I, I had one uh, of those like bug repellent things. I can't thermosel. So I had yeah, one of those sitting in there. I'm like, I'm like smoking myself out with the thing. And I see like mosquitoes going to like come in the window and they're like, Nope. u <laughs> <a> turn. So <laughs> it's hot as hell. I'm there with guys that are in, like really, really interesting. The, I, um, the guy, I believe his name was Stephen West. He he hosts a hunting show, or he did at the time. I'm not sure if he still does. Uh, Steven was one of the guides. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Brad who was, he worked some crazy, I think he worked like Ted Turner's Ranch Out West. Like these guys that know tons and tons and tons of stuff about hunting. And uh, a few other guys, Clint Walker and some other guys that were there. And they, they just kind of walk me through this and I know nothing. I I know absolutely nothing. We're up. So I don't know. Second, third night, I hadn't seen anything. Didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what is this? They keep telling me, look, this animal is, is tough. Like it'll, if you don't hit it in the right spot, it'll keep running and you won't get another shot. And I went, oh boy, this is why I have what I had. (laughs) So we're, we're in a a blind that's maybe five by 10, right? And there's two Mm -hmm. of us sitting in there. I'm in there with Steven and we're up there purposely hunting at night thermals, waiting for these things to come in. I'd never seen anything like it, you know, just sitting in, in this, like it was such a weird experience, just so foreign to anything I had dealt with at the time, just in the middle of nowhere, just complete wilderness sitting next to another person, you can't have a conversation, really. <laughs> you know, you're trying nope. to be quiet. <laughs> so anyway, fast forward, uh, about 2 to 3 a.m., somewhere in there, this thing comes sauntering in from, I don't know how far away. It looked about 250, 300 yards or so. And I'm, I am I, said to Stephen, he's got a, a set of thermals as well. I said, what is, is that it? Is that like, are we good? Is that the thing that I'm looking for? And he says... <laughs> He said, yeah, man, that's a shooter. That's absolutely, that's, it was a big cow, nil guy. And I'm, you know, the adrenaline starts pumping up and I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm waiting for it to come into a spot where I can pull the trigger. Okay. So what I haven't told you yet is that rifle that I had with the silencer that was on it and the thermal. So it weighed probably, I don't know. 15 pounds all in maybe 20 it's heavy heavy, not only not only is it heavy it has it's a semi-auto with a 20 some inch barrel on it it's bigger than the freaking blind and i'm in the middle (laughs) of the plot so it's sticking out the window right so this thing's sticking out the window and i'm like i don't know how the heck if it doesn't walk right in front i don't know what i'm gonna do so Anyway, I'll try to keep it shorter because I get I get excited about this story. So I'm leaning into the window, looking at this thing over on my side. I've maybe got like 20 degrees of, of room to hit this thing. So it's moving, and I finally pull the trigger. It hits. I see it hit. It jumps and then takes off. And I went, oh, crap. Bang, <laughs> one more, right? I just start ripping. So I, I was like, I, I hit it with a 300 wind mag. It didn't fall. So I have to pull this whole thing in the window, knock over Steven, like lean on him and put a couple more rounds in. It's 3 a.m. I can't see what I'm hitting. It's a thermal. I didn't know what was going on. I'm just bang, 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 and it drops. Okay. I'm like, oh, my God. Heart's pounding. This is amazing. You know, I I will say this. I caught a ton of crap when uh, I mentioned that I took multiple shots at an animal that's on the run. I'm like, I'm not going to leave a wounded animal. Mm -hmm. you know i'm not gonna do it guys claim like oh that's not ethical it's not ethical to let it live that's what's not ethical so the thing goes right it it falls over it tumbles i'm i'm going crazy it's pitch black can't see anything we can't find it we go out to find it we we get the we get the truck with the raised platform the huge spotlights we can't find it where is this thing okay it wasn't until – this was four hours later. It was about 7, 7.30. We come rolling out, and I'm walking around. We've got a, a a dog trying to find it. we got all this stuff going on, and there it is. I walk up on it in the, in the grass, and I'm just – honestly, I had – it was one of the only times in my life that I was literally speechless. I just stared at it and went, I think I found it. <laughs> like, I – well, uh, keep in mind, up until that point, I had not seen one up close. Yeah. Oh, I had there's, no there's idea. Two. Right. They're right. Giant. So I'm, like, I'm walking up on like a Mack truck, you know, context wise. <laughs> I'm walking up on it like, wow, just, oh my goodness. And I think that was one of the most eye-opening experience. There's so many int- like little stories to go on that trip that I, you know, walking down a dirt road at, in, in pitch black and they go, it's rattlesnake season. Watch out. I'm like, I don't have a light. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Ooh. it was, there's, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Um, it was an incredible experience and that sort of lit my fire uh, in a big way for hunting and, and also creating content around it, trying to understand how hunting shows are made. Like, cause I the whole time I, I forgot to mention this the whole time I'm trying to make a video about what I'm doing by myself so I'm trying to hunt do all this it's dark uh, it was it was overwhelming in 80 different ways and I wouldn't change a thing
0: John you're you're causing some major nostalgia for me so I'm, <laughs> I'm from Central Texas I've done about every hunt you can in South Texas I used to hunt on the King Ranch I used to guide in South Texas and just you describing sitting in that blind and just sweating in because mm-hmm. If you don't understand, Texas doesn't get cooler at night. You just sit in the humid, you know, 95, 100 degree weather at night and you're just sweating. And uh, Neil guy are not native to Texas and they're considered exotic. So you can hunt them at night. You can hunt them with thermal. You can hunt them at any time of the year. And these things are bigger than the cows. Yeah. And they're tough as nails. So you taking multiple shots, that's not out of the norm. That's not non-ethical. That's super ethical because you're right. Because these these bulls and these cows can take so much damage. It's it's incredible. So man, you you're you're hitting some nerves with me. I love it. I'm I'm, <laughs> well, I'm happy you were able to experience that and share my suffering
3: of those hot Texas nights chasing <laughs> deal dude, guy. Dude, I I have never been hotter. So I have been <laughs> the hottest I've ever been In my life, and the coldest I've ever been in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I I, we went. uh, I'll 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 throw in another quick one. We went pig hunting in northern ish Texas, and it was again winter time, and I had no clue, no idea how cold it got. So we Mm -hmm. rolled down there, and I'm I'm like I'm used to the cold. It gets cold here in winter, not like that, not like that. (laughs) I'm I. I I will describe it. So first of all, I I didn't see anything, but uh, I'm in the blind. I have like a little propane heater thing. It froze to the floor of my blind. (laughs) So I I literally, my heater, I had to break the ice off the floor of my blind. That's how cold it was. Uh, The heat, uh, you know, back to the Noga, the, the heat is incredible. Uh, The scenery is unlike anything I've ever seen, you know, under night vision and thermal, when you look out across the landscape, and you see these giant fans and the blinking lights off, you know, just for mile after mile after mile, you just see this stuff. And it's wilderness, unlike anything that I had experienced before, you know, like the southern tip of Texas is a very unique place. Uh, in in my opinion and it's it's not quite like the desert out west it's it's not quite like the the high desert in in the west and it's just it's beautiful in its own way and the the animals there are unlike anything else in north america and that's amazing and
2: so so resilient
3: they i you know i heard a story they tell they're prepping me for this hunt and they tell me Nilgai no guy can take multiple rounds. They said it's it's happened time after time. They'll they'll take one down, you know, they'll they'll go to cape it out and clean it and butcher it and all that and they'll find rounds in the thing. It's walking mm-hmm. around normal and they'll just find rounds in it. Somebody hit it and couldn't take it down like I I, don't I was want watching. That. I, so I awful.
2: I had never heard of Neil guy until the, it was one of the meat eater podcast episodes and, and Steven yeah. they were talking about, they went down there and to hunt Neil guy. And I did, I had to Google it. I was like, I've never heard of this, like <laughs> completely foreign to me. I heard the story and like, you know, Blue completely Devil. amazing. And then, uh, was it, is it season nine? Yeah. It's out season nine. of Meat Eater is out now. And, and one of the first two episodes is, th- is this Neil guy hunt, and uh, Steve Renella like put one, put around, I think like within a couple hundred yards, like directly through the heart of this Neil guy that they lead later find out, like as they're butchering it, like he's like holding the heart. Here's, here's the entry hole. Here's the exit hole on the heart. And he still had to put another round or two in it in order for it to die. And like the guide told him the same thing that they told you, like, you know, you shoot it once. And it's still going to, it will still, even if you walk up on it, sometimes they get up and run. Um, yeah. there's like, so, so be prepared, reload it almost immediately. And I think, uh, even like hunts like a seven mag, um, you know, not, not yeah. a, yeah. not a, a wimpy rifle either. So it's just crazy. And, uh,
0: man, I don't know. And Neil guy are such a cultural part of Texas for being an exotic game species. Like growing up, my dad hunted Neil Guy. Um, he's from Texas, born and raised. He hunted Neil Guy back in high school and college, and it and so I grew up with you know Neil Guy skull mounts on on the wall, and they're called the Blue Devils because they have those big black horns and that blue hide, that black blue hide, and it it's such a culture symbol of South Texas, and uh, it almost that terrain you're talking about almost resembles. You know the savanna of Africa more than anything in North America, and uh, man, allowing me to rep my state right now—I <laughs> I, I love it, John. Hey, man, oh, I, I love I, it. I, I loved it <laughs> I, I'll
3: be honest with you—I I love it there. I—I I think I've had some incredible experiences there. Um, I was actually not—not uh, not too many years ago, we went to a place called Champion Ranch. We didn't hunt it because uh, it was a press event for gun stuff, but. We were at a place called Champion Ranch, which is where, like, pro ball players go to hunt. You know, uh, the place is massive, incredible. They had a giraffe you could hunt if you wanted to. Like, really? Really? But that's Texas. That's yep, Texas. That's totally <laughs> Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful it's, there. It's, it really is. The, the hunting's unrivaled. It's cool, man.
2: So, uh, I guess to, to dabble, to pull over, uh, you bring Neil Guy Meat home? A lot of it, yeah. What's a a lot of it? So, what was probably your your favorite way to eat it?
3: Uh, My favorite way to eat Neil Guy was the Mexican lady that cooked it for us at the ranch. Uh, Like Neil Guy tacos, bro, forget it, forget it. (laughs) Oh man, I'm like me
2: a taco. I'm not the right. Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. Neil guy tacos are incredible. Honestly, the the what a lot of guys don't realize about Neil Guy, and I hope Renella doesn't like spark a whole bunch of people to go like harvest them all kind of thing, because okay. the meat is so good. It's oh, just good meat. And you know, you take down, you know, a six hundred pound animal, you're walking out of there with a freezer full, you know, yeah. it will last you a while. And it's good, man. The sausage, like it's I, I'm one of those people that I just like meat. So you're not gonna find me like complaining about different cuts. <laughs> so it's just like, oh well, that tastes a little different. Cool. Let's <laughs> I don't know, put put something on it and keep rolling. It's all good. That's awesome, you know yeah I could, I could yeah tacos
0: too oh uh, it's so good it's it's like beef like grass-fed beef on steroids it's like the savoriness of elk with the the robustness of beef so is it is it fattier yeah. than elk so it's not fattier than elk it's uh oh, it's so hard it, to it's, describe. it's like
3: richer than elk yeah.
0: it's it's got okay.
3: it's got like a so uh my understanding and and, well you can you can correct me if i'm wrong my understanding is that these animals were brought over from india back in Mm -hmm. the 20s or 30s because the value of beef was much higher and they didn't want to feed the beef to the ranchers or the uh, workers on the ranches so they brought neil guy in and there started the process of them being uh non-native but native you know that that was sort of how it started but honestly the meat the meat's better than beef it's i think it's better than whitetail any day of the week wow Uh, all right it's dude it's good
0: and it's great too because just kind of like the scimitar oryx and the other species that have been introduced in texas india doesn't allow recreational hunting so you can't hunt neil guy in india so one of the only places that actually <laughs> it, it John's got a point there. Uh, <laughs> so legally hunting is uh you've got these species that have been native to Texas now for a hundred years. Wow. So yeah. it's that they're still considered exotic, you obviously. See, you,
2: you get uh, into the whole question of like exotic, native, like I mean, obviously not invasive. They're not they're not competing with another species like in that detrimental way. But um, you get a point like they're non native, but at what point do they like get ass- assimilated into? Yeah.
4: It,
0: that's a great question. I mean, I just call them delicious.
2: Yeah. So, well, you have, I, I've heard a lot of conversations around elk. Like, elk used to be prevalent in like what, we- northwestern Texas. Yep. You get them ranging in, coming down on and off the Rockies and stuff like that. And like now, there's no native herds or no reintroduced herds sort of. That are there, other than the ones that they call "quote unquote" exotic, and I think Texas is it. Texas Department of Wildlife. I don't know what you yeah. call fishing game, whatever. Yeah. Um, kind of it's this weird. They still treat elk as an exotic, but you also have this whole aspect of of free range elk now that have spilled out of ranches and stuff like that. It's like,
0: man, where to? Where does that lie? Texas. It's it. It's crazy. It's the only place you can be (laughs) hunting a low-fenced ranch and see Axis, Black Buck, Neal Guy, all these exotic species that are native to India and Africa that have almost become native to the landscape because there's so much land, especially in South Texas. You're hunting ranches that are 40,000 acres that have three hunters on them. That's crazy. Mm -hmm.
2: You're like, you see that land there, all of that land. It's all mine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) all the land that the sun touches. Yeah, all of it.
2: <laughs> um man, that's awesome. That's such a great story. Thanks for sharing it with us.
3: Hey, I'm I'm happy to share. I know uh I was very like let me let me just say this for the audience. I know that I am very privileged to have had that as my first opportunity. I am well aware of that. But it was really awesome to just the same, you know, it was, yep. it was great. I still like that was years ago and I still will pull up pictures and, and show people like, look, look at this. It was cool. Yeah, that's,
2: <laughs> that's something to be, that's something to be proud of for, oh, sure. for sure. Um, I think about, and I'm going to, I'm going to do a cool segue here. So <laughs> the meat eater episode, uh, they, they use the nil guy heart for, uh, like a ceviche. I think it is.
0: Mm.
2: I want to say, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So they, they use that. Um, we recently actually just today uh, published a venison heart hash recipe on the website. So um, you can go check that out, but it's a, a pretty great recipe that uses actually I say venison, but I use antelope heart for it. Cause that's what I had on hand from Wyoming. And uh, we've been really John, we've been kind of diving into some of the, the organ meats and stuff, trying to get okay. people a little more comfortable with the,
0: uh, Eating, well, eating no, nose the heart to tail. The heart is so yeah. overlooked and it's one of the best cuts, really. Yeah. I mean, it's just a muscle that's super lean and is working all the time. And when you think of meat as muscle, it, it becomes this prize cut that everybody leaves in the field. Yeah. And we're kind of trying to change that mentality, you know, take it home, cook it up. You'll be yeah. surprised.
3: Yeah. I think a lot of guys just don't realize that, uh, them leaving certain things is a product of of years of grocery stores existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, like if if you didn't have the the quote unquote privilege to to use that word again, if you didn't have that, you would be out there scrounging, trying to make meals out of every bit of that. And I think we'd become a little bit spoiled as a culture, and I agree, because yeah. of that, I I, I think. I think it's interesting to explore that and encourage people to, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it every time, but try it, you know, yeah. try it.
2: That's I get an, I get onto my daughter. like, oh, I don't like something. I don't know what this. I'm like, you got to try it once. You got to try it twice. Like just taste it, give it a go. Like I encourage that to people too. And there's, and I, I appreciate the fact that, that the progressiveness of people preparing wild game and, and the willingness of people to share uh, their wild game recipes and their experience eating you know Neil guy tacos venison heart hash like those things like that that lets people step into worlds that they would otherwise be uncomfortable to be in but sort of be like oh well you know somebody did it and they wrote it down or they created a film or a video and you know if they're do it i i should be able to replicate it too and and i think that that's happening more widespread these days than say like 10 years ago, five years ago, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
4: to get 50% off. Okay, John,
0: I got a question for you. So- oh, I'm excited. This is uh, this is a little more gun centric. There you go. But <laughs> All right. it's, it's a question I asked to, uh, you know, everybody that's uh, a gun aficionado and a hunter. It's what is the best caliber for hunting game in North America and take into consideration, uh, you know, availability of the round. Can you go into any store and buy it? And then just the performance of the round itself, both with external and terminal ballistics. I
3: am a massive asshole. My my immediate <laughs> reaction, my immediate reaction is 50 BMG. <laughs> uh, uh, on a on a realistic note, I think 6.5 Creedmoor is a great option right now. Ballistically, it is v- far superior to 308 ballistically, has plenty of power and can work in a lot of different ranges. You know, like I have a 6.5 Creedmoor, I consider it a thousand yard gun all day. And to me, that's a very rare thing to be hunting outside of a thousand yards. So I'm confident that that round will do just fine inside a thousand. You know, that to to me that being able to efficiently put rounds on target uh, where you want them precisely with Shot a decent bullet with- weight, yeah, oh, you know, if, if you do your part uh, with a with a good bullet, you know, a lot of guys overlook bullet technology. Bullet technology has come so far. It's so not just like you I think if you're using a soft point, you've you've got a screw loose up top. I think you can do <laughs> way better than a soft point at this point. Well, um, it's
0: great to see the ahead. the culture changing in hunting because the most popular round uh, used to be in the U.S. for deer hunting was a 30-30. Yep, it was my first rifle. And uh I, started,
3: uh, I started shooting on a thirty thirty. Like we had one in the the cabinet. Yeah, yeah, dude. yeah.
0: Super popular. But then you look at the ballistics of a thirty thirty versus like a 65, and it's it's night and day. Yeah. It, yeah.
3: Hmm. I think I think the six five is has done a lot in recent years to transition beyond three hundred eight. You know, it, it was a lot of the precision guys were on three hundred eight. Oh yeah, this is the one. This is the one. But now uh, it's even transitioning from 6.5 in the the uh, PRS, like Precision Rifle Series, the National Rifle League. Um, they are starting to shoot variations of six millimeter. Yep, uh,
0: the the, whatever, yeah, the Dasher and
3: yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. Yep. And I think um, I, I think if you do your part with a bullet that weighs north of 100 grains you're gonna be just fine. Like guys guys talk about needing, you know, do you need a a, a 7 mag? Absolutely not. <laughs> do you, do you want to have that? Go ahead. I said 50 BMG for God's sake. Like <laughs> shoot whatever you want. If you're comfortable with that, rock and roll. You know, like here's here's a great example. 338 Lapua is in an overkill for most things it will take down anything but if you want to shoot one hell yeah hell yeah go shoot whatever you want <laughs> you know the, i think i think people get so caught up in this like minutiae of what they should be doing instead of what they want to be doing you exactly. know. exactly
0: and, and like the draw to 308 honestly 308 you look at the ballistic coefficient it thing flies like a brick and you have to lob it and uh I mean, my personal favorite is 300 Win Mag. Some say it's overkill. Some say it's not. But at the same time, you can get the round loaded in 150 grain or you can get it loaded in a 240. You can get it to resemble a 338 or you can get it to almost resemble a 270. Yeah. So yeah. as far as versatility, that's my go-to. I mean, for Western game hunting, I think I hunt a 180 grain uh, 300 Win Mag because I like the ability to just reach out and touch something. And then I like when I hit it for it to stay hit and stay down. Um, but six, five, that that's my next build. Honestly, it's, it's on the, it's on the docket and, uh, that's going to go through probably before Christmas.
2: Well, I I think so. My question is being looking at something that both of you definitely mentioned like, uh, range and I don't know the terms, so I'm going to sound like an idiot probably, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) the range, the distance to shoot and like, you know, the power on impact, I guess We'll, we'll say in limits terms. um, but looking at something like somebody who's newer in the realm of shooting or not as proficient, like shooting under under 300, under 200, or even, you know, in some cases, like in a lot of parts of the world, like you're not shooting or not a parts of the world, but a part of the US, like you're not shooting something under or over a hundred yards. Yeah. Like what? I think that's probably why you're looking at the third, the 3030 was the popular rifle of the time because it's like you're sitting in a deer stand with a 50 yard viz. Like, yeah. Like you kind of go, go with what you had. So in that realm, let's talk shorter distances. What, what would you look at? What would be the, the ultimate choice? Ooh, (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, have, I have like 10 different calibers and that roll. I was like a Rolodex of them in my brain. Like, oh, that would work. That would work. That would work, that would work. So, so I would say
0: it's whatever the shooter is comfortable with, because to be honest, uh, all my years of guiding, I've seen people drop deer with a two, two, three, which I say is a little on the underpowered side. Yeah. And then I've seen people not drop a deer with a 300 and it yep. becomes with it's exactly what John was talking about earlier. If you can place the round where you want it to go and you're not just able to do it on a range where there's no external factors of like buck fever and nervousness and pressure stress, it's being able to do it under stress. And yeah, (laughs) a lot of people want to take that heart shot, but in a time of stress, it's almost like put it, break a shoulder. Or they
2: say under stress, like your accuracy drops like 80%.
0: Yeah. It's something crazy like that. So, I mean, It's whatever you're proficient in and you have confidence in yourself as a shooter. And I love what John said about the bullet grain being over 100. So That's pretty important. Like a 77 grain, 223, like it can do it. It 100% can do it. I've seen it do it. But would I recommend it? No.
3: So so I want to weigh in here because I think this is important. Uh, I believe... It depends on what you're what you're trying to. Hunt. I think the, the actual game you're trying to hunt matters in this mm-hmm. in this equation. Um, I think if you come at it with the right bullet design, because I, I I mentioned Lehigh Defense, they're actually they're friends of mine. I've been working with them for many years. They've got a bunch of different bullets, and I, I'm not trying to promote them. I'm just saying, think of the bullet technology for what you're trying to accomplish. Because I've seen uh, a five-five-six take down a two-hundred-pound pig at one hundred and fifty yards, no problem. It's if you're using the right gear, the right it, like totality of what you went out in the field with. If you do that right, then you're going to be just fine in in terms of like that close-up stuff. I'm weird, I guess i i i would I have a, a lever action in five hundred Magnum. I've got a single shot. Uh, TC Encore, um, both threaded for a can and all that fancy stuff. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I will take close range. I want a big straight wall cartridge with a big old bullet because I want to hit it once. That's my personal preference. But a 300 Blackout Subsonic can do the job on a lot of different game in, in short range. You know, the people talk about uh, the, the hide thickness and this and that. And, no, just hit it. Mm -hmm. just hit the damn thing and it will do fine. If you're using the right projectile and you're within a certain distance and you've practiced with it, for God's sake, go practice with the damn thing. I think you'll be fine. You know, that, that's the thing there. You could hunt what's, what's really big um, right now in the gun world is pistol caliber carbines. So it looks like an AR 15, but it's chambered in something that's traditionally a pistol round. For me, we've got one. Is it in here? I don't think it's in this room. But we've got one that's chambered in 10 millimeter. Oh, my goodness. What a rad, rad gun. It takes Glock, Glock mags, and it, it's this tiny little thing. You could you, you can hunt with whatever. Just make sure that you can connect and make sure you're using the right bullet. The rest well, is easy.
0: I, that's John, that's an awesome point to bring the right bullet because you see people pay thousands of dollars for these guns. And then they buy cheap off-the-shelf target ammunition to hunt with. and it, it always blew my mind somebody would show up with you know a nice 2 three3,000 dollar rifle and they would buy the cheapest ammo they could find. And yep. th- that's not how it works. Like y- you need both of those in conjunction with each other to be able to really make an ethical smart kill.
3: Yeah, and I, I understand entirely that that stuff is not cheap. Good hunting ammo is not cheap, but no. if you want to connect and you want to harvest cleanly, you've got to spend the money. It's just the same. It's the same equation for home defense scenarios. If you want to defend your life, how much is your life worth?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm.
3: Don't cheap out on ammo. That could literally save your life. And the same thing goes don't cheap out on ammo that could feed your family.
2: We had a. Uh... I, I got a good story for as far as like dialing in ammo. Um, so I, I often hunt. So my friend AJ, who I hunt with pretty exclusively in the, in the fall and stuff, he's got a 25 out going, six.
3: going, steady. going yeah,
2: steady. Yeah. We've been going steady for years. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, he, he's he got a 25 out six that, that he got, Oh man, what's it been? Uh, probably eight years ago. I think maybe Six. We'll say six to eight years. Whatever. Um took it out. We took it up in the eastern Sierras up in California. He drew an x zone tag, the coveted X Zone tag (laughs) in in uh to hunt uh Mule Deer, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's Mule Deer up there. Mule Deer. So I I tagged along, uh brought my three oh eight with a bear tag in my pocket in hopes of seeing a black bear. Um unsuccessful on the bear side. On the on the deer hunting side it's it's important for this instance, and then important for another instance after it. So uh, normally, AJ would carry the seven mag, good knockdown power. You don't have to worry about trying to chase animals or find them or this and that. So this case, we were worried about weight, so we went with the twenty five out six. Thinking under two hundred yards up in the mountain, no, it should be no problem. Um, makes a shot on the deer. Deer goes down. Deer gets up, and we. We like visually, I have it like watching the side of this ridge where this deer is, and I can see the left, I can see the right, I can see as the deer starts to move up the mountain, and then there's like a a, a curved edge at the top where I can see over that. The deer never exited either side of it. Um, we also got down to the spot where it was, expected it to be within this like 100 yard by 100 yard area never found blood trail, never found any signs that the deer was ever there. Um, fast forward. So anyway, spent hours and hours and hours looking for this deer, never found it. Fast forward to three weeks later of the same year uh, in Wyoming, and AJ makes a shot on an antelope. Um, almost identical scenario. So comes down and through whatever research AJ conducted over the years um a lot of people were having the similar problem with the same type of ammunition he was using same mm. brand same grain same bullet weight all that stuff switched it and then I hunted with it 2 years after that and I I took down two antelope I hunted with it this year took down an antelope, two antelope with it as well it's like night and day in comparison um so That's a long winded way to (laughs) say pay attention to your ammunition and different rifles, like different ammunition too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but there, there's also a point that most, I I shouldn't say most, there are certain types of bullets that are not really tested at range. They'll mm -hmm. say they'll open at range, but you really don't know if that projectile is going to contact and open up as intended in the target at range. So I I always recommend find find some water jugs, set them down range, do something, go to your range and make sure that at the range you intend to hunt at, that that projectile is functioning correctly because you don't want a scenario where that thing doesn't open and it just goes sailing through. You don't want that.
0: 100%. Yeah, no, that's true. Every new hunting rifle I buy, I always add $200 to the price tag because I will always buy four different boxes of ammunition from different manufacturers. And they're all about $50 a piece. If you pay for good ammunition, depending on the caliber, of course, and you figure out which one shoots the best, what flavor your gun likes, and you figure out what flavor your gun likes. And then you test, you do like exactly what John was saying, a little terminal ballistics test with either, um, I mean, you can do it with all sorts of things, but water mm-hmm. jugs work, watermelons, whatever you want. And you, yeah. you get out of my head. I was thinking watermelons. <laughs> I don't know why. Water,
3: watermelons <laughs> are great targets, really. They really oh, are. They're so much fun.
0: <laughs> but I mean, I have a certain brand of bullet that I love and oh, it's 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 sweet to me to see What it, is uh,
3: it? I, I have to know. What is it?
0: Oh, it's the Barnes Triple Shock. That to me is my favorite hunting bullet. bullet on the market. Bullet. Yeah.
2: Why is it your
0: favorite, Will? <laughs> <laughs> so, I've seen a lot of animals uh, get hunted, and I've I've shot a lot of animals personally, and I've never had to track an animal very far that's been hit with a barn. They open up, they perform well, they have great quality control on their ammunition. They're a little pricey, but that bullet does its job. It does damage, and... I think I have the highest percentage of recovery on harvested animals with Barnes Triple Shock.
3: That's fair. Uh, Side note, Barnes just got bought out by another company as part of the Remington split. I don't know if you guys have ever talked about it, but that's a big deal. Uh, No, we haven't. I I don't know. So Remington's a catastrophe and has been for many years. (laughs) Uh, As as an entirety, uh, Remington Outdoor Brands recently was... Uh, they, they've been, they've applied for bankruptcy and part of the bankruptcy sale was this mass exodus, this mass split of a bunch of different brands. So like Palmetto State Armory bought stuff. Well, their parent company bought stuff. Uh, I forget, I think Federal is the one that bought Remington's ammo business. I believe it was, well, Vista Outdoor, but basically Federal CCI. I believe they are the ones that bought that, which is interesting uh, but there was a whole bunch of other brands. There's shady stuff going on there. <laughs> Either way, Barnes is no longer under that same house, which is a good thing because it was being run straight into the ground. So hopefully oh, wow. now we'll start to see some e- even more innovations and stuff in that machine bullet space.
0: Uh, yeah. And Federal has started doing a lot of custom stuff, a lot of uh, custom orders. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. almost reloading type, which is really cool to see actually entering the hunting world where people are taking into consideration their bullet and what flavor their gun likes, what grainage of powder it likes, what projectile it likes, you know, if you're shooting a hybrid bullet or any, any of that jazz.
2: I think there's a, it's a, a mixed bag for that community. Like people like it. It's, it's almost like tying flies for fly fishing. It's oh, like, exactly. no, you're going to have guys that go to the store and they buy the flies that people have tied, And then you have the guys that want to
0: tie their own flies. Like, well, it's like broadheads and uh, archery. You know, nobody just shoots a field point at the game. They want, they have to tie the right broadhead and with the right bow and with the right grain of shaft they're using with the right fletching. It's, uh, and I'm really excited to see that because, you know, I'm, I'm a long range enthusiast. Uh, I love this stuff, John. So I'm really excited to see this kind of come into the hunting
3: world. Yeah, I think I think that's gonna like. There's gonna be a lot of bleed over in the next few years. I mean, there already is. Guys are taking their PRS rifles out. <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> oh, yeah. this, this super heavy thing. I don't, it's it's hilarious, but uh, it's happening and it's cool. I I think it's what's amazing to me is that with this massive influx of new gun owners uh, over the last decade, what we've seen is a lot of people going well. I I don't only want to go to the range. What can, what else can I do? Well, great if you want to go hunting. That the 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 hunting and conservation side of the the world like needs so much help. Like mm-hmm. please please get behind this. Please get involved. You know because yeah. sure gun rights matter, but the rest of the things that are connected to it also matter.
2: Yep, I I definitely that's a question I had. Would you see? And you sort of answered it, I think, a little bit. But uh, as far as, like, the hunting world and the firearms world, do you think they live independent of each other, or do they kind of, like, intermingle pretty pretty
3: regularly? I think it depends. I think certain parts of the the gun culture bleed over. I think it's more of an individual thing rather than, Mm -hmm. like, segments. Obviously, rifles, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But there's also, like... I can't hunt with a semi-auto rifle here in PA. So to me, that portion of things just isn't even in my brain. okay so mm. you, you know like when I go to Texas, I'm bringing an AR. but up here, I've got a single shot. like you know it, there's there's like a lot to consider with the the not only the local culture of hunting, but the the terrain, the laws, like all the, these layers of stuff. I think all affect how it gets intermingled for sure. But there I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's obvious bleed over for sure.
2: We had Justin uh, Morrissey from the national shooting sports foundation on last episode. And it, we, we oh, talked cool. a lot, of, we talked a lot about, about hunting and stuff, but um, it's definitely, I, I thought it interesting because they really have like two distinct areas. So they have like a shooting sports that they, they market and they promote, and then they have a sort of get into hunting or a hunting side. And even though it's under sort of the, the parent organization of the the national shooting sports foundation, like they kind of, they, they welcome both crowds, but it's almost as if they treat them independently, which I think if you, if you have somebody who wants to shoot for sport versus somebody who wants to go out and hunt, uh, distinctly like me i'm i'm not a big target shooter like i've i've shot for work in the past and you know then i spend time you know a couple times a year going to the range to dial in my rifle or whatever for the the fall hunting season but outside of that like i i don't shoot much i don't shoot pistols that often i don't you know any of that but you are missing
3: out my friend <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, I think
0: it's a big culture thing as well yeah. because like target shooting and shooting just to shoot recreationally especially in Texas and I know Justin you're from Oklahoma so pretty similar cultures it wasn't a thing because it was expensive yeah and so we would go to the range and fire like four rounds out of the rifle just to make sure it was on at yep, 100 yep, and yep. even if it was off a little bit you're like eh i'll I'll mess with the 2 inch right Kentucky windage exactly you know <laughs> at least i know where it's going and, <laughs> and I'll, I'll put it where it needs to go yeah, so yeah. I think definitely with these PRS movements, these long range shooting competitions, how big three gun has gotten in the United States. I think all the the rise in recreational shooting is going to correlate with a rise in hunting because John, it's, it's your story of the Neil guy is just so great because you love firearms and then you got to apply them in the field where you could take something home and then eat on it. And you have those pictures and those memories and that food that builds into that culture of you got to use your guns to bring something home. It, I I love the connection between guns and hunting. I do. You,
3: you know, there's also there's there's this underlying thing that I I think uh, doesn't necessarily get mentioned as much that blends the two worlds, and that's, uh, for lack of a better term, the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something that I I really like picked up on when I was on that that first hunt. Is this this like camaraderie that is? It's different. It's that you're not just hanging out, talking to your buddies. It's it's this other level of like we are all here to do something that almost connects us to the earth a little differently. And I I think that's an amazing thing. And I think gun guys get that in a lot of different ways. You know, there's this connection to security and safety and things of that nature. Um, on many different levels but I think that all ties together to this like very primal uh thing that we have as humans and that's that to me is very very cool just that shared pursuit of mm-hmm. something pursuit of right.
0: a goal a common right. end I uh
2: sort of running down on time here and I, I want to talk about sort of one one more recipe before we go I've definitely enjoyed the conversation thus far uh want to make sure that we we get this one in here too. <laughs> Cause it's uh well, I think it's getting colder across the country. I'd like to think so. We've, we've had some questions about it. <laughs> um, but, uh, everybody loves a good chili. And, uh, so we have actually, we, this is a recipe that, uh, Brad Luttrell from, he's the, the co-founder and CEO of go wild, which if, uh, if you never checked out, go wild, you should check it out. It's, uh, very much for the outdoor enthusiast, the hunter, the angler, the shooter, anybody who likes the outdoors. Uh, it's a, a social media app that's very centric. No, uh, no sort of um, banning or, I guess, not regulation screening of posts and things like that. So it's it's built around community-specific stuff, um, which is great. But uh, we've had a long working relationship with Brad and. We always follow him closely. He follows us and he shared a chili recipe, uh, with us that we were happy to share with all of our fans. And it's, uh, it's a little different than most chili and will you'll appreciate this being from (laughs) the great state of Texas where there's lots of chili, but, um, it's a smoked venison chili, but instead of using ground venison, uh, he used roast Mm. and he smoked the roast and then incorporated into the, into the chili, but he used a, uh, use a big Dutch oven inside, uh, inside a smoker. And, um, it's kind of a, it's one of those things anytime you get into a smoker, you got to have a little bit of a time commitment. So you're looking like two to four hours to actually smoke the roast. And then, um, once you get it up to temp, you're then going to take it and, uh, pull it, wrap it. And then bring it back up to temp again, so that wrap. Especially you look with venison and stuff. I recently did a uh, a wild pork leg on the smoker, and you got to be real cognizant about loss of moisture. Mm. And uh, same thing with venison roast too. You don't want it to dry out and get kind of like super jerky outside. Not really great thing. Uh, but after you get the the meat sort of up to temp the second time, where you want it, sealing in that moisture, you prep your chili. And then you're you're taking all those ingredients. I know you, know, you like this kidney beans, <laughs> kidney beans and chili. I get um, more comments about
0: hot topic.
2: Yeah, about whether or not beans belong in chili. Um, either way, most of the comments I hear from Texas people, <laughs> they're like, "Beans don't belong in chili," and I'm like, "Texas doesn't own Texas doesn't own the rights to chili, though." <laughs>
3: yeah, the, America does, and beans don't belong there. I don't know. I I, I like beans, so. so
0: so I see it. Chili is great. It's like stew is great. And then there's a there's a subset of chili which is Texas chilies, and they don't have beans in them. But you know, not. But all Texas chilies are chilies, but not all <laughs> chilies are Texas chilies
2: yeah but i mean everybody's <laughs> got chilies well like new mexico has chilies oklahoma has chilies cincinnati has chilies rochester what? new york has chilies it's just like
3: barbecue yeah but let's be fair these other places are just borrowing chili from other places <laughs> <laughs> like, like nobody, nobody goes, you know what i want today and oklahoma chili nobody is <laughs>
2: Oh man. All right. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have that uh, recipe posted. And, uh, outside of that, uh, be sure to give the gun collective follow on social media. And, um, as far as ourselves, give us a follow, whatever podcast platform you're listening to hit that five star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong. what We're doing right. John, thanks for coming on tonight, man. I really appreciate it.
1: To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.